today's reading is from Matthew verses 9, 35 through 38, 10, 1, and verses 5 through 7. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over all unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere amongst the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep in the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, this morning's message actually is going to be a brief departure from our current sermon series. As you know, Pastor Eric has been working us through the subject of why worship, and in particular, why do we worship the way that we worship? And Pastor Eric will be back next week to conclude that particular series. But for this morning's message, we're going to actually jump back into kind of the ongoing sermon series that we are doing as we walk our way chapter by chapter, passage by passage, verse by verse through the gospel of Matthew. And in particular, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that Pastor Eric preached on recently. You have just heard it coming from the end of Matthew chapter 9 and the start of chapter 10. It was an excellent sermon that Pastor Eric preached. I'm not trying to jump him with regard to this, but you know the kind of intersection that leads me to this passage is that I have been called to be your director of outreach ministries, and I want us just to plumb a little more deeply and take a second look at the passage that Pastor Eric did such a fine job preaching on just a number of weeks ago. So with that in mind, would you please join me as we bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to listen again intently to what the Word of God has to say about a very significant subject, the subject of our outreach to the community with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to look intently into your Word of life and your Word of truth and pray that by your Holy Spirit, our hearts will be open and by your grace that I might communicate faithfully that which you have given to us in your holy word. Please do this to your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, some time ago, my wife Julie and I had opportunity to go catch a movie. It was a Friday late afternoon after the movie was over. You know, you're kind of feeling hungry at that point, so we thought, well, let's just go grab a bite out this evening. But it was a Friday evening, and we knew uh, like half of Omaha goes out to eat on Friday evening. It might be tough to get a table. Went to one restaurant, no luck. Second restaurant, no luck. Third restaurant, we walk into, and as we go in, I look off to the left, and I think, jackpot, half of the tables are empty. So kind of quickly, we walk up to the receptionist's desk and say, could we please have a table for two? And she said, certainly, I'd be glad to add your name to the list, sir. That'll be an hour and 15-minute wait. 
I looked back over to the left and immediately realized what you realize as well. Problem wasn't that there weren't enough tables in the restaurant. The problem was that there weren't enough servers for the tables in the restaurant. And most likely the problem was there wasn't enough uh, cook staff in the back of the kitchen to produce the food for all of those tables. If you will, Julie and I saw that the problem wasn't with the tables. The problem was a different kind of problem. The problem was that the tables were plentiful, but the servers were few. The tables were plentiful, but the cooks were few. And as we walked out of the restaurant, you know, you kind of glance over your shoulder, and there it was, the sign, help wanted. Now that scenario or scenarios close to that happen over and over again throughout Omaha. I bet you might have experienced that one as well and throughout our, uh, our entire country in this post-COVID economy. In restaurants, the jobs are plentiful, but the workers are few. In convenience stores, jobs are plentiful, laborers are few. In retail stores, at shopping malls, and other businesses across the land, the story is the same. There's plenty of work out there. There just is a scarcity of workers. Now, this balance of supply and demand between work and workers was as much an issue in Jesus' day as it is in our day. As we know, first century Palestine was largely agrarian. It was agricultural. And so when the harvest season came around, and it often came very, very quickly, the need for workers to hit the harvest field was extremely high. Like, like small armies of day laborers would head out into the fields as quickly as they could because they had to bring in the harvest before the harvest was lost. And Jesus capitalized on this reality in one of his memorable parables. You'll, if you know your Bible, immediately know this one. It's the parable of, of a landowner who goes to the town square to get day laborers at 6 a.m. Gets his day laborers, go back, goes back to his harvest field. But he realizes he doesn't have enough day labor. So 9 a.m., he goes back out again. Gets more day laborers from the town square. Still not enough. He goes back at noon. He goes back at 3 p.m. He even goes back at 5 p.m. with just one hour left in the workday because the harvest is plentiful and he needs as many workers as he can get out into his harvest field. Now, the point of Jesus telling that parable is for another day. But it does apply so that we see our situation. Many workers were needed for a great harvest. And in today's passage, Jesus much more succinctly is addressing the same kind of imagery when he says the harvest, it's plentiful, but in this case, the workers are few. Now, I think we all know that Jesus was not particularly interested in first century Palestinian agribusiness. But he was intensely concerned about the hearts and the souls of the men and women and children who were following him. So we know that when he says the harvest is plentiful, he's not like saying, let's get out there and bring in the harvest before it's too late. He's talking about people, isn't he? We just intuitively know that that is Jesus' interest. And it's his interest because we have seen already in the Gospel of Matthew that great crowds of people are following him. We read in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus' mighty words, the Sermon on the Mount. At the end, it says the crowds are saying he teaches with authority, not like our teachers. And then we made our way through chapters 8 and 9, where we see his mighty works, 
He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He has power and command over nature. He even raises a little girl from the dead. We have seen his mighty words and his mighty works, and the people, understandably, are just flocking to Jesus, and now there is a small small army of people not going out into the harvest field, but a small army of people who are following Jesus around, and he engages with them every single day. Now, in our passage for this morning, we are going to find that Matthew reports four very simple things about Jesus' response to this throng of people, this army of people who are following him around. And I want to emphasize that these are simple things. But if we miss the simple things of Jesus, we may find that we simply miss Jesus. So let's pay attention to these simple things. Now, the first of these four simple things is this. Jesus saw the lost then... And so, we must see the lost now. Jesus saw the lost then, and so must we now. Now, Matthew simply writes in verse 36 of chapter 9, when Jesus saw the crowds, of course he saw the crowds. How could he not see the crowds? They hardly would give the man a moment's rest or peace. There were so many in the crowds. But what Jesus is doing here is seeing the crowds at a deeper level than simply their bodies and faces and arms and legs. He's seen below the surface. And what does Jesus see when he looks out at the crowd? Well, Matthew tells us. He sees that the people are harassed and they are helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, we probably know that sheep are not like the the smartest animals out there Uh, in the world. They're not going to be high with uh, acuity and knowledge. And so, if you leave a sheep without a shepherd, it is going to wander away. It's going to get itself into trouble and soon probably be killed by a predator. And he looks at the people and says, the people are like that. There's no shepherd. There's no one to care for them, to direct them, to help them, to provide for them. And they are wandering aimlessly just like those sheep. And Jesus kind of brings us home more pointedly in chapter 10, verse 6, where he says, they are lost. Because he says to his disciples, go to the lost sheep. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. You don't get many much more straightforward and plain and blunt than saying, you see those people out there? You see this great throng of people that's following us? They are lost sheep. Jesus sees beyond their faces and sees into their souls, that these people are people that need God to reach into their souls and to provide His saving love and care and mercy and nurture and direction in every aspect of their lives. And so, our first simple point is this. As Jesus saw those lost souls and lost people so long ago, are there still lost people wandering around Omaha today? The answer is yes, of course. And the question for us, friends, is do we see them? Do we see those lost souls, those lost people who are harassed and helpless now every bit as much as they were harassed and helpless in Jesus' day? Do we recognize their deep spiritual state and their need? Does Jesus, the good shepherd, need to come to them into their lives and their souls, even as Jesus the Good Shepherd literally bodily was with that great group of people somewhere around 28 AD. And who are these lost sheep? Who are they? 
Well, some of them are members of your family probably. Some of them may be the neighbor who lives down the road from you. Some of them may be the guy who you see working out every day down at the gym when you go in. It may be the person at the cash register that you exchange a few words with when you buy your groceries. It most certainly is the guy who cuts you off in traffic all the time probably, right? <laughs> These are lost people and they're lost sheep. You know, I, I will tell a story on myself intentionally, which won't put the best light on me. I was wrapping up, finishing, thinking about the sermon yesterday, and it was mid after, early afternoon. I was hungry. You know, you can get a Costco slice of pizza for a buck ninety-nine. So it's like, okay, I'm going over to Costco, get the piece of pizza, and, and I'm sitting there, you know, looking at the message and kind of praying over it. And you really don't want to go to Costco on Saturday afternoon. I'm just here to tell you, find another time to go to Costco. Because the place was mobbed, absolutely mobbed. And so, like, I've got tunnel vision here, like, focus on what I'm doing, getting ready for the message today. And then I look up and it dawns on me. There are literally hundreds of people walking past me. I'm, that, that's not hyperbole. Hundreds of people walking past me. And it struck me as though the Holy Spirit, as the Lord, was saying, do you see them? Do you see these people? Do you not realize that these are the lost sheep of our generation, our day and time? These are not the down and outers who are lost. These are the up and outers, and they are equally as lost as the down and outers. But Tim, do you see them? Do you see them? Because we have to see them. If we don't see them as Jesus saw them, we won't be moved to reach them. But if we do see them, then that's the starting point for saying, yes, we must reach them. Well, let's move. First, Jesus sees them. Told you that was simple. Second one, equally simple. The text says that Jesus was moved with compassion then, and so must we now. He was moved with compassion then, and so must we now. You see this again in our passage. Jesus had compassion on these lost people. Now, I don't like to throw Greek words around, but I'm going to throw a Greek word around. I'm going to get geeky with the Greek for you here. The Greek word for compassion is splachna. Splachna, that's just such a good word. And splachna in its base doesn't mean the word simply compassion. That's a good translation for it. But splachna is literally the Greek word for your guts. It's your guts, right? Jesus, we could paraphrase, was hit in the gut when he saw these people. And I think being hit in the gut's a little more visceral, a little deeper than, oh, I have compassion for you. I empathize with you. I sympathize with you. No, I am hit in the gut for you and your situation. You know, I, I hate to be visual, but it brings it home for me this day. I think with horror, we have been watching the last eight days or so at what's going on over in Israel. We have watched and seen that initial attack by Hamas as they invade women and children and babies literally being slaughtered. And if you've seen any of those images or be exposed to them, then you know what splachna is. Because I don't know how you could see that or experience that and not be hit in your gut by that. It's visceral, it's arresting, it's gripping, it's deeper than simply having compassion. And what Matthew says is when Jesus really sees the hearts and souls of these, last sh uh, of these lost sheep, it's not that he just gets it in his head. 
It's not, you know, we often say the longest, the longest uh, 15 to 18 inches in the world is from your head to your heart. Well, he gets to the heart, but then there's another eight inches that gets to your gut. <laughs> and Jesus traveled the other eight inches to be hit in his gut by that. He was moved to the depths of compassion. And we too, friends, are called to the same sense of compassion, move to tears, move beyond to a depth that sees indeed the desperate need of a lost world. Why? Because Jesus was moved with compassion and it was his being moved with compassion that moved him to say, I have to do something. I've been called by God to bring the salvation of God and how can I not when my heart is so deeply broken, my guts are churning, I'm gonna be sick if these people don't hear the good news of the gospel. And once we are moved at that level, we too will know that we, too, we must do something in the name of our Savior. Two simple things down, two to go. He saw them. He had compassion in his guts for them. Number three, Jesus assessed the situation then, and so must we now. He assessed the situation then, and so must we now. Verse 37, our key verse, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, says Jesus. Now, let's go back to that opening parable that I made reference to. You remember that the landowner goes to uh, the town square to get day laborers at 6 a.m., needs more, comes back at 9, needs more, comes back at noon, needs more, comes back at 3, even at 5, more and more and more day laborers. Now, I want you to imagine with me a slightly different version of that parable. What if our landowner goes at 6 a.m. and there's nobody there in the town square? There are no day laborers. And he scratches his head and says, I mean, was there time change or something like this? Am I here an hour too early? What's going on here? Of course, that's anachronistic, but you get the point. All right. He goes back at, at nine o'clock. Nobody in the town square again. He stops and scratches his head and says, is, is this like a national holiday I missed? I didn't get the memo. He goes back at noon. Nobody in the town square well, it is lunchtime, I guess nobody's around. Goes back at three, goes back at five, finds no day labors. And can you imagine him at six o'clock in the evening looking out at his harvest field full of grain and saying, my harvest, my field, it's so plentiful, but, but there are no workers, no workers to reap in my harvest field. And friends, is that not what Jesus was saying to his disciples when he spoke those words so long ago? Was that not Jesus' assessment? Look at this crowd of people. The harvest is great, but there's so few laborers to reach this great mass of people who is following us around. If you will, Jesus is saying, help wanted. Help is wanted. He's putting out the help wanted sign. Help is wanted to tell people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near at hand. Help is wanted to go out and tell these lost sheep, not of Israel, but of the world today. Help is wanted to tell them that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that if whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Help is wanted to reach the lost that they may be found. Help is wanted so that the blind may see again. Help is wanted so that the broken may be mended, the perishing may be rescued, the dying may find new life in Jesus Christ. And yes, sinners, sinners can be saved by so great a Savior as our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus assessed the situation. The harvest is plentiful, 
But boy, we need more laborers out in that harvest field. And we must make the assessment today. Let me simply add to this. Has there, has there ever been a time in the history of the church where this has not been true? Has there ever been a time or will there ever be a time in the life of the Christian church where Jesus says, you know, I think we got the harvest covered here. You know, now you just take the day off. You don't need to go out into the harvest field. We've got plenty of laborers. You know, just, just chill out. We'll call you if we need you. Can you ever imagine that there's been a time in the history of the Christian church where that was the situation? No. And it will never be the situation until Jesus comes again, because when Jesus comes again, all of his elect will have been gathered into his fold and into his barn, but not until then. So that's our third simple thing. Jesus assessed the situation, and so must we. Fourth and finally for this morning, Jesus issued a call to action then to his disciples, and that call to action still applies to us today. There are actually two components here to his call to action. The first one is found in verse 38. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Now, simply, you might stop and say, well, how should I pray for them to do that? What, what, is there like a formula, a template? If I'm going to get serious and pray for the Lord to send out workers into his harvest field, how do I pray that? You've already seen the answer in this text. Because you start by praying, Lord, help us to see. Help us to see the lost. And then you pray and deeply and 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 full of of full compassion and conviction. Lord, help us to have that compassion. Help us to be hit in the gut about that need that we have seen. And then we pray thirdly, Lord, the assessment. There's a harvest field. There are not enough workers out in that harvest field. And you know what happens if we pray that Lord, the Lord will move in people's hearts, that they will see the lost. They will have compassion for the lost. They will see the desperate situation that we're facing with regard to the lost. More often than not, it turns into us who realize that the prayer that we just prayed isn't just, Lord, go send those other people out into your harvest field. It's send me into your harvest field. How can I not answer the call? How can I not hear you saying to me that I need to be part of the answer to my own prayer. And friends, is that not exactly what happens in our passage today? After Jesus says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field, chapter 10, verse 1, what does he do? He goes to his disciples and he commissions them and he says, you go out to the lost ship of Israel, proclaim the good news of the kingdom, and do good works of mercy and service in my name so that testify to the gospel of the kingdom. He basically says to them, you pray about it, now get out there and be a part of the answer to your own prayer. And friends, this is the call that still remains upon our life today. We are called to be those who pray, and we are called to be those who go. And... To finish up today's message, you will have noticed that there are two cards that were on your seat this morning. 
And you may say, what are those there? Well, I'm about to ask you to do something with those two cards. Now, if you were here last week, you know that I asked you to come and join us for the 10 o'clock prayer time, and and a a bunch of you did. That was great today. And I'm going to ask you to do something this time. And you're going to say, oh, please, Pastor Eric, come back, because every time you have that other guy preach, he asks us to do something. It won't always be like that. But you have these cards. And what I want you to do is to use these as as simply a concrete way to pray, to pray for people who do not yet know Jesus. Do you know two people who do not yet know Jesus, two families who don't know Jesus? And to pray that God will send out workers who can reach and touch them and call them to the good news of Jesus through the life of this church or through other people. And pray that you might even be that person that has the opportunity to do that. Take these cards, please put them somewhere prominent, like don't stick them over in the corner or lose them in the the pile of mail that you haven't gone through. Put them somewhere where, you know, put put them in the bathroom right there on the mirror where you look every time. So you'll pray about it, you'll think about it. Put them on the, you know, on the steering wheel in your car so you will see it and you will pray about it and say, Lord, who are you calling me to hand a card to and invite to Grace Central? and to invite into the kingdom of heaven. That's a challenge for us. That's where we can start to make a difference. And you might stop and ask, well, okay, Tim, then why are all these other cards on all these other empty chairs? Well, duh, we didn't know what seats you were going to be seated at, right? So we get that part. But think bigger than that. Think that these are empty chairs that are yet to be filled. We want someday for somebody to come and sit in every one of these empty chairs And we want them, if we're doing this in six months or a year or two years, to see these cards. And these cards are not going to be left lying on these empty chairs. They are going to be picked up by other people who will say, yes, yes, I will pray and I will give these cards and I will invite them to the good news of Jesus Christ. So consider these empty chairs as people yet to come to Christ and yet to come to Grace Central. So that's a call for us, something simple we can do. And I'm going to make it easy for us. We don't have to be ace evangelists to do this. There is this thing called the Gray Havens Band that's coming on Thursday evening for their Zion Caravan Tour. Take a card. Do you know someone in your neighborhood? All you have to do is say, hey, come to this great Christian concert at my church. I'm paying. I'll take you out to get something to eat before or after whatever. It's easy. That's, that's not a hard ask, is it? I'm making announcements now, so I won't have to do it later if you didn't pick them on this. November 1st, how do we spell fun here at this church? R-E-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N-P-A-R-T-Y. Reformation Party. Aren't you glad the real word for fun is just F-U-N instead of all that stuff? But it's fun. How easy would it be for us to take one of these cards and to go to a neighbor or to go to a friend, go to somebody we know, and say, we're going to have a lot of fun at our church on November 1st. Here, come with me. I'd love you to have the chance to be introduced to my church family and then to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It can be that simple to start with. So that's a call for us, friends, a call to recognize that indeed the harvest is plentiful, but we're the laborers. We're the laborers that are sent out to present the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost world.